Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. This week, we're going to be hearing from Pastor Chris as we take a look at finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, now with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Chris. In the heart of every human being is a great desire uh, for love, for joy, for peace, for contentment, and satisfaction. Every single heart on the planet has desire to love and to be loved and to be in peace. God put that desire into the fabric of our DNA. Because human beings, you and I, were designed and created in the image of God to be in fellowship with God and to walk daily with the Lord. We were to be like Adam and Eve. We were to be in the garden, which the Bible, the word is paradise, with God, walking with him daily in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day. We were to have intimate relationship with our Lord. But we all know what happened. Adam and Eve, they messed up. Sin entered in and death through sin. And so the desires in our heart from God is still there. We want peace, love, joy, satisfaction, contentment. And we look at a world that is unloving, lacks peace, brother against brother, injustice, racism, segregation, the haves and the have-nots. So we all have the desire, and yet we're in a system, an ecosystem, a world that is not giving us the desires of our hearts. This is what the Bible says. Hold tight. Hang on. Overcome by the blood of the lamb. And every desire of your heart will be fully and completely met. There is coming a time when there will be love unquenchable. There will be peace that has no bounds. There will be a time of fellowship and contentment like we have never experienced ever. That's our message for this morning. We're gonna look at the Christ and the realization of his kingdom here on earth. So here's the promise. No matter what you are going through, hold tight, stay the course, Stand firm, be steadfast and movable in Christ. Good things are coming. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to start at verses 1 through 5. So if you haven't been here or you've been here sporadically, we are going through a series in this church called Jesus in the Old Testament. And we started from the white pages before Genesis chapter one, and we're going all the way through Malachi, showing that Jesus is the reason, that his story is really history culminated. He is the apex of all human history, from before creation until the new heaven and the new earth, it's all about Jesus. And so we've been looking at that. And now we've come to the part of Isaiah where we're looking at Jesus as the reigning king. And we're going to look at his kingdom. 
So two aspects we want to cover this morning. Aspect number one, kingdom rule. Who will be ruling? Who will be reigning? And what will that reign over the earth be like? And then two, kingdom culture. Because of the ruling of those in power, it will transform and alter the culture here on earth. So we're going to look at kingdom rule and kingdom culture in this fully realized kingdom of the Lord. So Isaiah chapter 11, let's look first at the kingdom rule. Then Isaiah 11.1, 1, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord and his eyes will not judge what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness, the belt about his waist. So in Isaiah 11, we see two things primarily. Number one, we have a description of who this king is going to be. And then we have a description of the king's attributes. So 11.1 is the cheat sheet or the answer to who this coming king will be. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So number one is who's Jesse? That's right. Remember King David? King David's father was Jesse. And God gave to David a promise, 2 Samuel 7, that David, his lineage, there will be one who will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. So Isaiah 11 says, whomever this reigning king will be, they will be of the lineage of David. What does the very first verse of the New Testament say? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of who? David. Matthew is saying at the very beginning of the New Testament, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He is the stem of Jesse. He is the branch of David. He is the fruitful king that will rule and reign forever and ever. It's all about Jesus. And so what will the king, what will the Lord Jesus characteristics be as the reigning king of his kingdom? Verse two, three, and four, we see three attributes. We see number one, the king's ruling attributes. We see the king's practical attributes and we see the king's spiritual attributes. So verse two, Jesus will rule and reign as king because he has the correct attributes to do so. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And what does verse two say? Because the Holy Spirit rests on Christ, he will rule with kingly attributes, i.e. he will be one who has wisdom and he will be one who has understanding. 
So we went through Proverbs and what is wisdom? The fear of God, okay. That's the beginning of wisdom. Or yeah, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. But what is wisdom? Knowledge, okay. What is wisdom when you break it down? What is it? experience. It's basically knowledge on fire. Wisdom is essentially saying, I am going to apply what I know to be true and right. And so when you break that down, wisdom ultimately derives solely from God because God is the source of all truth. Therefore, all wisdom comes from him. So a person who lives a wise life is one who believes in God and then honors him by living the way God lives. Applying godly rules and principles to your life is called a wise life or a life of wisdom. So Christ is going to be one who is wise and one who has understanding. And the Hebrew word understanding means to get to the heart of the matter. It means to throw away all the BS and all the fake news and to really get to the brass tacks of what in the world is happening with a situation. So you remember King David had a son who ruled and reigned. What was his name? And what did Solomon ask for? God says, I will give you, I will grant you one thing, ask of it, and it will be yours. He asked for wisdom, and what did God give him? Wisdom and understanding, i.e., God gave him the ability to rule and reign as in the way that God deems fit and to not get caught up in the nonsense, but hit the nail on the head, seeing things, for, seeing things directly as they are. You remember in in Kings, there were two women who were new moms and they had come before the King Solomon and there was a big dispute between the two. The women were crying. One woman was crying and she said, this woman stole my baby. At night, she was sleeping with her child. She fell asleep, rolled over it and accidentally killed her kid. Then she wakes up and she replaces our kids taking my kid. And the other woman says, no, 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 this is not true. This is not true. Well, the king at that point needed wisdom and he needed to get right to the heart of the matter. So what was Solomon's exercise of wisdom and understanding? What did he do? Take a sword, cut the baby in half. Now they both get 50-50. What did uh, um, Solomon know? He understood the temperament and the, the innate nature of a newborn mother or a mom who just had a new child. He understood that. He had godly wisdom and understanding, and then he pinned that nature against itself, knowing that the real mom would sacrifice not being able to raise her child for the sake of that child to live its life. So when the woman who was the real mom said, no, 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 please don't kill my kid, she can have it. Solomon at that time knew exactly what was happening. Now, in the kingdom age, when Jesus is ruling and reigning physically on earth, he will exercise full wisdom and full understanding. In other words, nobody's going to get one off on Jesus. Nobody's going to, you know, kind of get in the gray area, if you will. No one's going to pull a fast one on the Lord. With his kingly um, ruling attributes, there's wisdom and understanding. Secondly, Here is his practical attributes. He has the spirit of counsel and strength. The Hebrew word for counsel is the idea of making a plan. 
It's the idea of looking at in an environment and having the right course of action. And the word strength is what we understand as power. So Jesus, in his practical ruling attributes, he will see the big picture. He will have a plan for his kingdom and his people. And then he has the power to execute that plan as he sees fit. So in other words, Jesus is all-knowing, he knows all things, and he's also all-powerful. He has the ability to make all things come to pass. But here's the third attribute, and this is important. Because what happens if you have an all-powerful, all-knowing king who's tyrannical and has no morality and has no fear of God in him? An all-powerful, all-knowing king that has no fear of the Lord would be a real bad situation. But look at the Lord. This is his, uh, the kingly spiritual attributes, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The, The spirit of knowledge is the relationship of the Holy One. It's that idea of not just knowing something, but knowing them intimately. Like Adam knew Eve and they bore a child. It's to have an intimate relationship. Jesus is gonna have an intimate, as we know, relationship with his Father. And because of that, he will rule in the fear of the Lord. That is reverence, honor, and obedience to God the Father. So we see Jesus in all areas being the perfect king, ruling and reigning. And then it goes on in verse four and says this, because of his righteousness and because of his attributes, look at how his rule will end. It will end with justice, fairness, and equity for all. Goes on and says, he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, because he has understanding and wisdom. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. In Proverbs, we see about the poor. What do you read over and over and over again? There's no fairness. There's no fairness with the poor. The poor have no friends. The rich have all the friends. The poor have no benefits. The rich have all the benefits. Solomon wrote in the Proverbs how unfair this world really is because those who rule the world are unfair at the core. Christ comes in all his glory with wisdom and understanding and the fear of the Lord. He establishes his kingdom and through that comes fair rule. The poor and the rich, the haves and the have-nots will all be alike. And then it goes on and says, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the right, slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. How will Christ rule? With an iron rod. We see Jesus lowly, meek, and mild. Nobody had room for him in the inn. He was despised. He was rejected. But he's coming as the king. And everybody will bend the knee. And Christ will rule. And he will rule with an iron fist. We see here that a rod of iron comes from his mouth. Now that's uh, taken up in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, 15, and 16, it says this. 
From his mouth, speaking of Christ, comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So two things about the rod of iron. Number one, what does the rod do? It's an instrument used by the king, and it's also an instrument used by the shepherd, and it both symbolizes the same thing. What does a rod do? It's, it's a form or a, a device of judgment. The staff, it, it will gently pull the, the sheep back in. The rod breaks the legs. The rod cracks the sheep upside the head. The rod breaks a rib so that that sheep will stay with its shepherd. It's a tool for correction. With the king, the rod is the exact same thing. It's, it's the symbol of might, power, and rule. And the fact that it's metal also means something. Metal or that metal iron is that of invincibility, that, that, uh, something that doesn't bend, something that doesn't break, something that is tough, something that is strong, we call the football field what? The gridiron. We say of a dictator, they rule with a iron fist. It means they're unbendable, unbreakable. Christ's word, Christ's message, Christ's reign goes forth and it will not bend. It will not be broken. What Christ says, it goes. He will rule with a rod of iron that comes from his mouth. And because of that, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says justice and righteousness will go through the land. Because Christ the King is ruling and reigning in holiness and righteousness, that peace and equity and justice will go through the land. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. I think it's in Jeremiah 33 and verse 14. Jeremiah 33, 14, almost the same thing. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I spoke concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. So Jesus has the right attributes and he will rule and reign as king with an iron rod. Here's the question. What about us? What are we doing? Where are we going to be at? What are we up to? Are we gonna be in heaven on a cloud playing a harp? Because if that's heaven, count me out. Can you imagine for all eternity playing a boring harp on a cloud? Like that is hell to me. What are we going to be doing? 
if Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth, what in the world are we doing? We are praising the Lord. What else are we doing? We are ruling and we are reigning with him. Now think about this just for a second before we dive into this. You're a sinner just like me. You deserve nothing but hell just like me. You don't get to heaven based on anything you do. There is nothing you can do that can make you right in and of yourself before God. Even when we're saved, we, we stumble, we're foolish, we're folly, we're in sin. We don't honor God the way that we should. And yet God says, I love you. And God says, I chose you before the foundations of the earth. And God says, I will forgive you. And God says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And not only does God give us everlasting life, but he gives us responsibilities and roles in which we will serve and honor Christ every day of our lives for all eternity. This is the abundant amount of grace on display through the gospel. Now, we can't comprehend this because we're foolish. Our minds are finite. We're in sin. We're worried about the stock market. We're worried about where the paycheck's coming. We have all these different concerns. But in the end of the day, God's grace and mercy is fully on display. And I don't know of a greater place than in the kingdom age, when sinners like you and I have been redeemed, restored, and then we've been uh, set to represent Christ as rulers and priests in the kingdom. Check this out. It's, it's absolutely uh, incredible to me. Oh, sorry. Before I get there. Oh, I hyped it up. I'm sorry. One more thing before we get there. Where's Christ going to rule in the kingdom age? Jerusalem. So let's look at where he rules, and then we're going to look at us. So Jesus, he's ruling, he's reigning. Where's the epicenter of all things? Jeremiah 3, 15 through 18. Jeremiah 3, 15 through 18. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And as shall be in those days, when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord, they will, get, they will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. So what is the ark of the covenant? Do you remember that? What, what's inside of it? Let's start there. The Ten Commandments, the, uh, the Aaron's rod, and then some manna, right? They put some manna in a jar, and they put it in there. And then what happened with the Ark of the, the Covenant? What, the tabernacle, what was the importance of the whole thing? What did it do? So, so when the tabernacle was in the presence of Israel, who else was in the presence of Israel? God. And then when the tabernacle left... The glory of God left with it. So the tabernacle is the place where God meets man. It's the, the tent of meeting, the tent of fellowship. It's where God and man can relate as one. In John chapter one, it says, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is our tabernacle. And through him, we now have fellowship with God. We now can go into the tent of meeting and have a relationship with God, our maker. 
Now in the kingdom age, there's going to be no need for the tabernacle. Why? Because of, of Jeremiah chapter 15, or I'm sorry, chapter three, verse 17. At that time, so they're not going to need the tabernacle. Why? They will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem for the name of the Lord, nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel and they will come together from the land of the North that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. Jerusalem is going to be the epicenter, not Washington, D.C., not Beijing, not Moscow, not London, Brisbane, um, none of that. Jerusalem, epicenter of the world. The people, the nations are going to go and pay homage to the sun. Psalms chapter 2 said, and then Zechariah 14, 16. Zechariah 14, 16. In the first part of Zechariah 14, the nations are warring against Jerusalem. They surround it. And then Zechariah 14, 16. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that were went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the feast of booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. In that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. So a couple things. What's the feast of booths? the Feast of Tabernacles, and what did the Jews do during that time? They went and built tents and they camped outside. And what was it to symbolize and remember? That God was with them in the wilderness. Now, there will no longer be a need for the Ark of the, of the Covenant. There no longer a need for the tabernacle. Why? Because Christ himself, God himself, will dwell in our midst. And what's the, the response or the repercussion of that? It says everywhere, Jerusalem and Judah will be holy. Everybody's pots. So imagine like uh, clean dishes in the house. They will be sanctified just like the pots in the temple that are used to worship and serve God. In other words, everybody is holy. Holy to the Lord. Christ rules, he reigns with an iron rod out of his mouth. The epicenter is in Jerusalem. And guess what? Now we get into what you and I do. We rule with him. 
in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. So this is the layout of Revelation 19 and 20. Christ comes. Enemies are laid at his feet. Chapter 20, verse 1, 2, and 3, Satan is bound. And then 4, 5, and 6, it says this. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And when they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, who is it that's gonna rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom? It says those who overcome and those who have been martyred, and those who have not given in to Satan. So the question is, are all Christians going to rule and reign? And the answer is, I believe to be yes. And this is why. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and two. Now, Paul is talking about lawsuits, and he's practically trying to tell Christians, don't go and sue each other in the court of law. Brother to brother, go and resolve your differences. Don't take it into the court's hands. So it's a very practical matter, but he says something that's very interesting. First uh, Corinthians 6, 1. Does any of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Now listen to what he says. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Who are the saints? In the Old Testament, the saints were those who looked ahead to the coming work of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 15, God gave uh, Abraham a beautiful promise that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That through him, he will have a promised son. That through him, kings will come forth. And, and Abraham is like, I can't believe this. I'm an old man. These promises are so robust. But what does it say? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. God says, you have faith, therefore you are my saint. The Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross. The New Testament, we look back. We look back to the cross and to Jesus and the finished work and the gospel of Jesus Christ, our saint, our a place of safety. It's in him. So the Bible says that do you not know that the saints will judge the earth. What does Paul mean? Well, in 2 Timothy tap, chapter 2, verse 8 through 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, 
descendant of who? David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Now the word is elect, so that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. And what does verse 12 say? If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now flip over to Revelation chapter 2, verse 25. Revelation chapter 2. Starting at what verse? 25. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Thyatira, and it says this. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as all I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now turn a couple pages to Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 9. Revelation chapter 5. Starting at verse 9. Here's the scene. 24 elders are before the throne of Christ in heaven. They bow down and they begin to sing to Christ a new song. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain. And purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Verse 10. And you have made them. Who's the them? Who's the them in this context, immediate context? It's those in verse 9. And who are those in verse 9? Who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ from everywhere in the world. It's the saints. Now look at the them. Look at what the saints do, verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Oh, I'm sorry, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Peter writes, and he's speaking now to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now, for the priesthood to be royal, you have to be inside of what? The king's line a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, we are going to rule and reign with Christ forever. We are going to be priests before God. There's going to be Christ, and Isaiah 42 says his princes. Now, I don't know if the princes refer to all of God's elect, or maybe to the Old Testament saints like Abraham and Isaac and David and, and the uh, prophets. I don't know if those princes are like those in Revelation, where the 12 apostles are going to be over the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not sure. Not sure exactly who the princes refer to, if it's us or the apostles, Old Testament saints, or all the saints. But what I do know is we will be ruling and reigning with Christ. I don't know if we'll be over nations or provinces. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be in the the temple of God and we're going to be serving God in a priestly manner. I don't know. What I do know is we will be with Jesus in his kingdom and we will be ruling and reigning. Here's another thing to add. We're going to be in our glorified bodies. That's another real important thing to add. We are going to be in our glorified bodies. So today, if I were to die, my body goes in the grave. My body is done. My body returns back to the dust of the earth, exactly the way it came from. The real Chris, my spirit, goes off to be with the Lord in heaven. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Revelation 19 Christ comes back in his second coming with all his saints. He establishes fully, full realization of his physical kingdom on earth. And then the first resurrection happens. Those who are found faithful in Christ will be given bodies like him. We will have our glorified bodies like him. Will they have 10 fingers and 10 toes? I don't know. Jesus, he went through walls. When he was, uh, after his resurrection, Jesus just appeared before people. Jesus was able to mask his appearance as he walked with people on the Emmaus Road and they didn't realize it was him. And yet he was still able to eat. He ate fish with the apostles. So we're gonna have some form of glorified body where we can fully glorify God. Question is now, if we're going to be in our glorified bodies and Christ is going to be king and the apostles and those Old Testament saints are ruling and reigning, who in the world are we reigning over? <laughs> yeah, like, who is it? If we're all ruling, who are we ruling and reigning over? Well, when Christ comes, those who were still believing and living on this earth, believing Gentiles, will be saved, and they will still be human beings here on this earth. A second group of people who will be human beings like you and I with 10 fingers and 10 toes will be believing Israel. It will be the Jews who once looked on Christ whom they pierced, and they will have remorse. And in that day, Jeremiah says, God's going to remove a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, and he's going to write their law on their hearts. So Matthew chapter 25, Christ comes back. And what does he do? And these letters are in red, so that means Jesus is speaking. 
Matthew 25, 31. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here's the second group, believing Israel. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses one through seven, there's a big war. This war, the nations have gathered again around Jerusalem. Then it says in in Zechariah 12 and verse eight, in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem And the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So look what happens as that that, that, uh, war has taken place. Verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. So they will look on me whom they have pierced. This is about 500 years before Jesus came on earth. They will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. So the Jews will no longer see Jesus as the stumbling block. They will no longer see Jesus as the blasphemer. They will see Jesus as their king. They will finally get it. They will weep and they will repent and they then will be ruled over by Christ. So we are going to be ruling and reigning over these people. So the second thing is that's the kingdom rule. Now the kingdom culture. What is the world going to be like? Which is really cool. Is it going to have theft? Is it going to have uh, people stealing and murder? Is there going to be rape? Is abortion still going to happen? What is the kingdom culture going to be like? Well, number one, people on earth, those human beings that went through the second coming and are now going in this millennial kingdom of Christ, they will have uber long lives. That's number one. People's life expectancies will grow tremendously. In Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 19 through 25. Isaiah 65, verse 19. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. Check it. For the youth will die at the age of 100 and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them 
They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They will not build and another inhabit, nor will not, nor will they not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children of calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they will call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Why are people gonna live so long? Number one, the lack of sin. Sin causes death. Relational death, physical death, financial death, all forms of death. Sin brings shame and brings death. The soul that sins shall surely die. Romans chapter six, the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin brings death. When there is a community, an ecosystem, a world where they are worshiping Christ, that sin is not proliferating like it is today. Second thing, medical advancements. We are going to continue on as we go further and further and further down human history, continue to get better and better scientific medical breakthroughs. 500 years ago, the average life expectancy was 35. Now we're at 78. 100, 200, 500, however many years should the Lord tarry, that is just going to continue to grow and mature. People are going to live longer. The third thing, there's no more war. no more war. We don't have to send our boys and girls off to go find weapons of mass destruction that don't exist. We don't have to send our boys and girls off to Ukraine because there's the big bad wolf over there in Russia. All this fake news and all this nonsense, sending our kids to war and having them shed blood for, for things that only the rich will see benefit from. None of that takes place anymore. It will be a kingdom culture of complete, and total peace and harmony. Isaiah chapter two, we're almost done by the way. You guys are doing fantastic. Isaiah chapter two, starting at verse two, says, now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations. He will render decisions for many people and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Complete peace. We spend trillions of dollars around the world annually, trillions, on on weapons of warfare. 
And I understand we have to have a strong military to deter other bad nations from doing bad things. But imagine if the world's nations, instead of stockpiling trillions of dollars in munitions, stockpiled it in services and caring for the poor and giving back and making sure there's equity. In this earth, because of earthly sinful rulers, that will never happen. In the kingdom age, there will be complete and pure peace. We go on and say that people will live long, there will be peace on the earth. And lastly, Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 10. It will be a time of healing, it will be a time of holiness, and it will be a time of happiness. Isaiah 35 and verse 3 through 6, it will be a time of healing. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious hearts, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. And listen to what the kingdom age will be like. It will be a time of healing. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabia. Everything is going to go back how it was before. Remember when God, he was cursing Adam. What else did he curse? He cursed Adam and then what else? The earth. Thorns and thistles. It was not meant to be that way. The earth was meant to be perfect in atmosphere. Notice the Arabia, which is the desert, will be flowing with water again. The earth will be a time of healing. The earth will be healed. This whole thing of uh, climate change and we're destroying our earth. The earth will go through a season of healing And people on earth will not have blindness, deafness, or lameness. A complete healing. Number two, it will be a time of holiness. Verses eight through nine. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. No lion will be, no lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. It'll be a time of complete holiness. And lastly, it will be a time of happiness. And the ransom of the Lord will return. And come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness of joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. We will go back to an age that that desire that God put in our hearts from Genesis chapter 1 will be fully realized again. So what do we do? Be prepared. If you're ruling and reigning with Christ, be prepared. Know the word of God. Know the voice of the Lord. Be in communion with God. Be obedient. How can we be priests to God and we ourselves not be obedient? So this is the call. 
The kingdom is here already, just not fully realized like we've seen. A good kingdom citizen obeys the law, grows the kingdom, and serves God in obedience. Amen? Amen. All right, with that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can get into your word. Um, Your word is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. Your word, Lord, is truth. Thy word is truth, Lord. How can a young man correct his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. Lord, the word is our sustenance, our strength, our guide. And it is a place of of real comfort. Knowing that the nations and the presidents and the prime ministers and all the fools of this world who are only worried about their own empire, they will cease. And Lord, your kingdom will grow and grow and grow and grow. And Lord, we will pay homage to you. And Lord, we will thank you. And Lord, we will say, holy, holy, holy. And we will learn of you. And we will walk on that highway of holiness. And people will live into the hundreds. And we will rule and reign over them, Lord so that people can see us and our service towards you and glorify God and his Christ. Everything we do from this point on into eternity is to reflect the glory of God and shine light. Father, may we be found faithful and may we overcome until the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.